Hello and welcome to our podcast for College Catholics. I'm your host, Father Patrick Wainwright, and today um, I will be having a guest as a sequel to our previous episode. In the last episode, I spoke about the life of Jesus Christ and, among other things, how he um, came to do battle to the evil against the evil one um, and to free us from sin, free us from the world, and free us from Satan. So I've invited Father Cliff Ermatinger as a guest. He has worked as a spiritual director, retreat master, and lecturer on spirituality for many years. He has a BA on, from Gonzaga University in philosophy, and has his licentiate in theology, in sacred theology, from the Regina Apostolorum Pontifical University in Rome. And he is a full-time sp- priest in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. Uh, Father Ermatinger wrote many books with regard to the spiritual life, the interior combat, and also regarding the fight against the evil one in our life. So some of his books, he wrote many other books, but some of the ones I'd like to highlight for those who are listening uh, so that you can maybe uh, read them and benefit from them. One is, uh, If You Knew the Gift of God. Then another one we're going to talk a little bit about today, titled Common Nonsense, 25 Fallacies About Life Refuted. Another one, St. Therese of Lisieux, Spouse and Victim. Then the letters from the desert, the devil's role in the spiritual life, and the most recent book Father uh, Cliff wrote is The Trouble with Magic. So, how are we doing, Father Cliff? Thank you very much for joining us in our podcast. Thank you, and thanks for the invitation. How am I doing? Well, I'm doing better since I got here. It's good to be with you and uh, and your listeners. Yeah, thank you for joining us. Uh, so, I heard that you used to play rugby. I did. If I, yeah, I'm sure if I even watched a rugby match now, something in me would break. <laughs> but um, yeah, I played. I played all through college. And uh, the thing was, when I went away to college, um, even though I knew God was calling me to be a priest, I thought I would put His plan on hold. And I thought, well, I'm going to join the Marine Corps, become wow. a Marine officer. And I thought playing rugby would be a good way towards, uh, you know, having some physical sport. Um, building endurance. Building endurance, exactly. And Absolutely. I used to play rugby too, by the way, when well, I was in high school. I'm, and I, fair, I, I imagine you were a back of some sort. <laughs> yeah, I, almost I, a runner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was not a runner. I was in the forwards. And um, yeah, I've got the injuries to show it. So yeah, um, it was a great, I played, I played all, it was a great sport, a great camaraderie, a lot of fun, a lot of travel. I played all through college and well, then- so you played in college. That's pretty competitive. Yes. And then after college, I played for a year. Um, even though I knew I was going to join the seminary, I ended up uh, working a year to pay off my college debt. Uh-huh. And I was playing for the Chicago Lions, which was... Uh, so that's a semi-professional league, rugby league? Well, at that time, they called them Super League. I don't know what uh-huh. they call it anymore. But you know, back then, it was all amateur. There was no okay. professional. Perfect. Wow. Very good. Well, so you were a pretty good player, obviously, I mean, to get to that level. So I don't know about that. It was, um, <laughs> I, was, I was surrounded by a lot of good players. Very good. Well, it's a team sport. So yeah, it doesn't, it's not enough to have a one good player. And do you have any other hobbies, Father? Uh, just to share a little bit of your humanity here with our listeners. <laughs> um, well, I uh, grew up playing the, uh, it's called the Great Highland Bagpipe. 
and I used to compete and I did my first bag, solo bagpipe competition when I was 14. Wow, that's amazing. And I began, I had a bit of a hiatus because of travel and all of this. And it was hard to keep the, maintain the instrument. You know, it's like a living organism. Absolutely. <laughs> you, yeah. You need gotta, to keep it up. You have to, you have to constantly play it and traveling and living in other countries. And, you know, this is before uh, the internet existed. You just couldn't order things online because there was no right. online. And anyway, it was, uh, yeah, it was just very cumbersome to try and keep the instrument up. When I got back to the States in 2009, I got back into the pipes and started competing uh, way too early. <laughs> I was not ready to compete. My fingers were out of shape, but uh, I competed for a number of years until an injury put that um, in my rearview mirror. And then I thought, you know, ever since I was probably 10 or 11, I enjoyed listening to Baroque strings. I love Baroque strings. That's awesome. And so I thought, well, I, I think maybe if I can't play the bagpipes now, this is my opportunity to uh, try the, the Baroque cello. So I'm... Oh my goodness. Yeah. I'm, so I saw, I, I don't say, I shouldn't say I play it. I play at it. Uh-huh. Um, I'll, I don't think I'll ever be a good cellist, but uh, if I could get back to the pipes and I'm trying now, um, arthritis is a reality I'm discovering mm. in my fingers. But if I could get back to the pipes, I think I could be a good piper again. Um, a bagpiper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I hope so. But uh, the cello, that will always be a bit elusive for me. Okay, very good. Well, I won't um, foist that on your audience. I won't, uh, yeah, it's not Lent yet. So yeah, we won't, we won't, we won't play any cello for them. Okay. Okay. Well, we would love to listen to you sometime. If there's some, uh, some way to have you here playing cello, that would be like pretty awesome. Um, so would you like to tell us anything and, uh, our listeners a little bit about your journey as a young man and how you, how you got to discern the Holy Priesthood and how you got to become a writer? Well, I grew up in, uh, kind of a typical Catholic family in Chicago. We were, our parents, I think, assumed that we were getting the catechesis, proper catechesis in our schools, and we were not. And they're paying, right. they were certainly paying for it, but oh uh, we, yeah, it's really. Disappointing. Well, yes. I mean, that's, that's a kind word. Um, you know, we were, uh, we were really not given the content of the faith. Um, we lived in it, though. You know, I mean, it was just something you didn't discuss. You didn't, mm-hmm. you, you never, nobody questioned, do you go to mass on Sunday? That just wasn't right. an issue. Um, we didn't question what the church taught. Um, and had we been taught everything that the church teaches, we would have embraced it all, I'm sure. Absolutely. So it was, uh, so there was a, it was a, you know, a crazy time. You know, the seventies mm-hmm. the were, were kind of a. I, I was born in the early 60s, so the 70s, you know, when I'm kind of um, becoming a little more than just a sentient being, you know, I, I can start to think a little, and, you know, it was such a crazy time Absolutely. in which all these priests and nuns were leaving their vocations, and everything seemed to be up for grabs in terms of absolute truth, in terms of doctrine, moral theology. And, you know, people want something to hold on to. They want to be grounded in something that's absolute. Uh, if you if you think, you know, life is worth living. Absolutely. And, and if you believe that heaven exists. Exactly. Well, uh, and there's also another option, too, if you don't get to heaven. So, you know, these are, you know, these are realities. And I had to kind of find it out on my own. Mm-hmm. And it was very frustrating. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, it was hard to get solid answers from priests. They were often very evasive. I right, found right. Um, people didn't like to speak in absolute terms, and guys want to know absolutes. Right, and and also people, I think the seventies and eighties, there was a lot of there was a lot of uh, question purposely placed questions. Like people were doubting things that were never in doubt. Like I remember once one, like a little bit jokingly, but a, a bishop told me that some people were asking them, asking him if the Ten Commandments were still there. You know, like and of course they are. Yeah, they're around here someplace, I'm sure. Right? That's <laughs> are they? Are, do they exist? Yeah, in your heart if you're living them. Right. And if not, you know, well, there will be consequences. You know, these are choices. These are choices we make. And, Absolutely. You know, nobody lives in a vacuum. Nobody lives in a vacuum. So, you know, what what you live, what you teach, what you, uh, the example you give, all of this has some resonance in the entire mystical Absolutely. body of Christ. And so, you know, there is no private religion. Absolutely. And we all have a right to the truth. We all have a right to it. Right, right. And God intentionally revealed it, revealed what is necessary for our salvation. So we need to hold on to what God taught, and, and that is absolute absolute truth. And he gave it to very weak men, mm -hmm. along with helping grace to make them, you know, to help them carry out their mission. But he gave it to these men to pass it on faithfully. Absolutely. To pass it on faithfully. Faith comes from hearing. Right? So if people aren't hearing it, they're not going to know it. Well, you know, Aristotle says there's, Nothing in the mind that wasn't first in the senses. So our Lord wants us to speak the truth. He wants Absolutely. us to. He wants others to hear it. He wants. He he wants us also to be examples of it. And so this is all. This is all. There, nothing is really lost on our Lord. Right. And there are no. There, things are not unimportant. Right. So then you were saying, uh, when you were a child, many of these things were not taught. And then what happened? So how did how did now you're a priest? So something happened along the way that was good that some good influence occurred and someone helped you to you know somehow well find the truth yes i was uh fortunate to go to um the high school seminary for my archdiocese chicago uh-huh wonderful and um i think you know the level of courses there was was pretty good and at college i went to uh you know college uh gonzaga where it was a mixed bag. The Zags. Uh, yeah. Go well, Zags. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't much of a sporting uh -huh. phenomenon while I was there, probably because I was there. But whatever <laughs> the case, um, I, yeah, I wasn't a great, I wasn't, I mean, I loved playing rugby. I wasn't that good at it. But the, the, intellectually, it was a mixed bag. We had a couple of priests and a couple of professors who were great mm -hmm. philosophers. Um, theology department was a little, um, yeah. It was uh, shaky, wanting, shall we say? And uh, nonetheless, there were some some very solid men. And I remember in history, you know, reading the history of the early church, uh, studying history of the early church. And it's there, it was funny. It was through history classes, on uh, going Wonderful. through primary sources that I'm discovering what the church teaches, and I'm and and, and also looking at the heresies of, of that the councils were dealing with. And I go, wait a minute, I was taught that heresy as if it were true. <laughs> Right, so, right, right. And so it was. Uh, it was actually through history that I came to understand um, our our faith with a little bit more depth. And then, rather than um, it, so, it wasn't just doctrinal. A big moment came for me in the the end of my time in college. I was trying to help 
a friend who was a bit of a uh, lapsed Catholic. I was trying to help him come back to the faith. And since I am, you know, more, uh, part Scottish and uh, therefore very cheap, I, uh, I thought I'd bring him to a used bookstore because I didn't want to buy him a new book. <laughs> I brought him to a used bookstore and I said, I'm going I'm to go find you something that'll help you in your grow in your faith. And, I, and what I found for myself, I don't remember what book I got found for him, but what I found for myself was this intriguing book called The Ascent of Mount Carmel uh-huh. by uh, St. John of the Cross. And I read that in a couple of nights, and that was a cold shower. I got slapped around spiritually by him, and I realized that, yeah, this, uh, this, this, this is not a game. The spiritual organism is real. This is how it works, and I have to deny myself. I have to be a man of prayer. I have to be a man of penance if anything is going to be done. If I'm going to, be, if I'm going to live this life, if I, you know, I, I was dabbling in the idea of um, the vocation. I told God, I'd, you know, I'll put you on hold. I'll wait. And I, I joined the Marine Corps and I got injured and I was out of the Marine Corps. And okay, I guess after college, I'll, I'll go to the seminary. And well, that uh, this, this, this book really put me aright. And, and I, so I've held on to John of the Cross. And as a result, Teresa of Avila as well, it really kind of guides, sure guides for the spiritual life. And I don't think there's any um, spiritual theologian that has written um, with the depth and the organization and the system as John of the Cross. He, for me, is, um, you know, the, the, the perfect marriage of scholastic thought with experiential, as John Paul II would say in Novo Millennio in Unte, um, lived theology, right? The lived right. theology of the saints. Yeah, John of the Cross is really the master, as far as I'm concerned. Wonderful. Wonderful. Very good. So, and, and then finally, you, that's where your discernment came to a, a more specific, um, let's say, realization. You entered the seminary, and then you began writing at some point. You know, as exact, I discovered the the great treasury of mist of of of, of mental prayer um, before I entered the seminary and then in the seminary um, with regular times of adoration and learning um, to there's a, there's a book I would really recommend to your mm-hmm. listeners absolutely called the prayer and it's not even a book it's probably if you're really cheap like me you can get it for free online it's a PDF called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection. Absolutely. Great uh, Carmelite friar. Well, learning that, that practice of the presence of God, which is basically living a recollected life, right? Right. Living habitually aware that you are in God's loving presence. He's looking at you with a loving gaze, and we return that loving gaze with our heart and our mind in the midst of all of our doings, right? Our, Absolutely. All of our work and our tasks and our recreation, and we're, we're doing it with him. You know, when I describe that to young people, I say, you know, you, you see a movie when you're alone or you see it with a friend. You enjoy it more when you're with a friend, even, though you're, even though you're not talking. speaking. Right, right, right. But right, you right. enjoy it because there's a certain unspoken communication. That's what I'm talking about. With, and that's, I think, what... Um, Lawrence of the Resurrection was talking about, you know, mm-hmm. in other words, we're, we're, we're with this friend and we were, we, he loves us, he sees us and we just return the loving gaze throughout Absolutely. the day. And that can be done all day long. So yeah, those were two things that really transformed it. And, and as a, to answer your question, um, I thought I would like to write a book on prayer someday. 
Mm-hmm. And that was really my first goal. I want to write a book on prayer and teach people to do mental prayer. Well, didn't quite happen um, as I had hoped or I planned. Years later, when I was doing my STL, the licentiate in theology, I thought, I'm sorry, in, in philosophy, I was thinking, you know, these all, these things that we study in philosophy, they're not useless. They have very practical applications. Absolutely. And so I took, um, the most salient themes from my philosophy studies and wrote this book called common nonsense. And it's called common nonsense because there, these are the, it regards these fallacies that we hear. So right? you can never be sure there is no truth. Right. Let me, let me, uh, put a put footnote there. Um, fallacies. So I know what is the fallacy, uh, but just to double check, just to confirm, um, and to explain to those who are listening, a fallacy would be an argumentation, right? A reasoning that seems to be correct, but is actually incorrect. Exactly. Right? And it, it sounds like it's right by the way it is proposed, by the, the syllogism that seems to be correct, and therefore the conclusion, we, we draw the conclusion, and say, oh, that's the conclusion. And the conclusion, not only... Sometimes it's actually wrong, but also the process it took to get to that conclusion, it's faulty. Exactly. Right? Yeah, there are some errors along the way. And as you know, Aristotle says that um, a small error in the beginning is, ends up with a big error at the end. And so, Correct. yeah, so, so somewhere along the line, um, there is something that is not quite right. And so the result is not right. And so these fallacies are often commonly held um, and repeated, but often not really thought through. So I thought, you know, the, the greatest philosopher ever, St. Thomas Aquinas, he has a summa theologica, you know, and he has this question, this question, he lays out the problem, he gives a couple of reasons supporting the one, one position, and then he has a one-line uh, response that rebuts the problem, and then he addresses all of the argumentation that was pro. And so he dismantles these problems. And, I, and in a certain sense, I followed his structure. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I start with a statement, um, there is no absolute truth, you know, for example. So that's one of the things. That's one the of the way, chapters. And also this is, by the way, is helpful for college students because I think these uh, errors or fallacies or misguided argumentations are uh, addressed to students. And many times, college students that are Catholic, they come with a, I would say, naive faith or uh, a faith that does not have a strong foundation. Much like I did in college, Correct. right? And, and myself, too. Right. Like most students that get to college that are Catholic or call themselves Catholics, right? We get to college and we find, we encounter these professors with authority that they present these truths that are half-truths and then we fall for those half-truths and lose our faith. And that's why I think it's good to address these things. On Yes, we fall for it, or we know it's not right, but we don't have the tools to rebut it. Right. That's the idea. And so it, uh, these are mostly fallacies that, that people hear. They kind of know that's not, that can't be true. Right. It can't be so, but I don't know what to say to it. And so the, I wanted to arm you know, yeah. college students with, um, with, with 
the argumentations for their own formation, but not, not just to win arguments. Above all, so that they, un- they can be sure in the truth. Right. And th- these aren't anything, this is nothing that I've invented, right? I, right, of course. I kind of, you know, I added some funny anecdotes and, th- and things like that to make the medicine taste good. And this book is basically written for somebody who normally would not read a philosophy book. If you like to read philosophy books, I'm sure there are better ones. This one is for people that would normally not read one. And nonetheless, you get the philosophical, Absolutely. you get the, the tools, right? The so intellectual the, tools. The title would be Common, Common, Common Nonsense. Nonsense, 25 Fallacies About Life Refuted. Correct. So why don't you tell us two or three to give us well, a, a, the shortest, a good foundation. The shortest chapter, I can tell you, I've got it memorized, right? <laughs> the fall, fallacy number four, I believe, was, um, now you're asking me about this book that I wrote. I, I wrote it in... Nine, 1997 wow. and I worked on it I started in 97 and I worked on it for 10 years published it in 2007 and um, so you know trying, trying to remember now oh, I remember but I do have chapter 4 memorized and, and the, the, this, the fallacy was there is no truth and the answer is well then your statement can't be true Absolutely. so that was that and then he just turned the page to chapter 5 and <laughs> right right because that's There's a, nothing more to say. There's right. nothing more to discuss. If there is no absolute truth, our communication is useless because right. I don't know what your words mean. They're just sounds, right? Right. And, and notice, too, that often the enemies of absolutes are, are so absolutist in their imposition right. of rules right. that they've come up with. And notice, too, that they don't question whether there's a semi coming down the road. Right. Right. They don't question. They get out of the way. They Absolutely. get out of the way, right? There's, there's no question about that. They understand there's something absolute about getting run over by a truck, okay? That's pretty right. absolute. Uh, so they, they, they relegate this relativism merely to a couple of moral points, right? okay? So they're not even intellectually honest. And it's impossible to be intellectually honest if you say that you can't know the truth. Right. It's impossible. Right. Right, I remember once uh, an anecdote. This is an anecdote. Uh, I in 2018 I went to uh, Jerusalem to preach a retreat. Anyway, I was in the old city of Jerusalem, staying for that for a day or two, and I wanted to go to Bethlehem. So I took a bus, uh, public transportation, and there were uh, students. I mean, there was a lot of people, but there was one student that happened to be sitting next to me, a Muslim student, who was going to a university in Bethlehem, where I was going. I was going to Bethlehem, not to the university. Uh, but I was interesting. I was surprised that he was going to a university, and he told me that he was studying even some Christian authors, right? But he told me that the one thing he was learning in in his philosophy classes was that there is no absolute truth. Exactly this point, right? So I told him, "Well, um, by the way, between Jerusalem and Bethlehem, there's a, a little border uh, hurdle check. there to get over." Yeah, right. There's a border check, right? And the Israel, Israeli soldiers come into the bus with their guns, like with the AK, AR-16, like brandishing it right in front of your face. So it's very, very intimidating. I, I had to experience it, and it was, I, I never saw a machine gun that close to me. And sometimes they're pointing it at you, right? Of course, they're not going to shoot unless you do something wrong. So I told this young man, look. Yeah, it's not the time to say Allahu Akbar. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And also, the other thing is, he, if, if there is no truth, right, uh, he, was quite, he was like Hegel, right, questioning whether the things we see are real or is a construction of our mind. Right. Right. And it's a philosophical principle. And I said, look, when that Israeli soldier comes in with a machine, machine gun, is there any question? Does anybody in this bus 
question that that machine machine gun is true. No, absolutely. They, they, it's obvious. It's true. And you better stay put in your seat and not move because that machine gun is real. There's not a construction of your mind. And nobody even dares to question that at that point. When we're in our desk, sitting far away from the machine gun, and we have the possibility to think about and theorize, maybe we start thinking, maybe it's a construction of the mind. But when you're faced with the reality, the reality is it imposes of it of itself right yep. in itself so it does impose itself right and you know think of people who say i i you know i saw this guy the other day driving uh past me and he had a bumper sticker said no gods no masters and i thought uh actually you do got a couple of masters and a couple of false gods i'm sure mm-hmm. and some of them are probably your passions right okay that right. you that lead you 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 serve them you serve your passions they don't serve God's purposes, and they, therefore they don't serve you. Nobody, everybody serves someone. We all Absolutely. serve someone. And ultimately, our service to Jesus Christ is the only one that's worthwhile. But I don't even know why I brought that up. I was about, to, say, I was about to make some brilliant remark, <laughs> and that was my segue, and now I forgot the billion remark. I'm sure it all occurred to me around midnight tonight. It was, it was all about the truth, the, 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 the fallacy that there is no truth. Now, Oh, uh, that's what I was going to thank right. you for that. Yeah, because I was going to say, reality imposes itself on Absolutely. us, right? Mm-hmm. I don't follow any laws. Well, there's a law of gravity that you didn't vote for. Right. Okay, so, you know, you can say, along with, um, you know, uh, Barclay, you can say that you don't, um, you don't have to obey any laws and that they're all, they're all false constructs, right? But jump out the window and see how it goes for you. You won't break right. the law. Right, the right, the right. law will break you, okay, right. when you hit the ground. Well, Father, let's do this. Let's call it an episode today so that we can keep these episodes to right. around or less than 30, 30 minutes. And let's continue talking next episode about one of your other books, the one on magic, entitled The Trouble with Magic. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I hope you liked hearing about Father Ermatinger's story and a little about the book, uh, Common Nonsense, 25 Fallacies About Life, especially this about uh, absolute truth and the importance of truth. If you would like to send me your comments or ask me any question, please do send me an email at info at fourcollegecatholics.org. I'd love to hear from you. And make sure you join us next episode to listen more from Father Ermatinger. We'll see you next time.